covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. When we were doing this podcast last week, man, could things change in the course of a week. Last week, we were previewing the postseason, looking forward to the wildcard game. And now here we are, and it's just a few days removed from the season coming to an end when they lost to the Nationals in the wildcard game. And kind of an odd podcast to be doing, quite honestly. Not quite ready to really start previewing the season, looking back at things. Uh, it's just a it's kind of an odd place to be right now. So uh, we'll, we'll go through it together, kind of navigate through what this thing is going to look like. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. First off, you know what I do at this point. This is where if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, maybe you press the uh, plus 15 or plus 30 second button, whatever it is, to uh, skip past my uh, normal housekeeping items, where uh, if you want to get in contact with me, do so via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, if you want to listen to this podcast via Apple Podcast, or if you are listening to it via Apple Podcast and can subscribe and leave a ranking interview, that is a good thing as well. And a special hello to uh, the folks listening on 540 ESPN as this is uh, airing as part of the uh, Doug Russell's Pod Center that he puts together. Although this week, I don't know when it's going to air because there's day games during the baseball postseason that should be airing. I'm sure Doug will get it in at some point in time, but it might just not be in its normal slot. But for all of you listening on air on 540, uh, this is a podcast that you can access uh, via WTMJ.com or... Apple Podcast, Stitcher, wherever you happen to listen to your favorite podcast. All you got to do is uh, do a search for Brewers Extra Innings. All right, so here we are. Season's over. Um, I've been thinking about the, how, how am I going to open up the podcast? Though That's that's what I've been thinking about uh, throughout the course of the week. And we're going to have a conversation with Brew Crew Ball's Tim Muma here in uh, just a moment. And that's going to be... Uh, that's going to be the meat and potatoes of this week's podcast as he and I just kind of talk through uh, what happened, what is going to happen, uh, that that sort of thing. It, it, it stunk the way the season ended. And I could use stronger words than that, but I like my job, so I'm not going to. But it was a that was a horrible end to a season. And I think for some, it's it's hard to take the emotion, the... Just the horribleness that you felt when the Brewers lost that game on Tuesday night and still try to look back at what was a really successful September and a fun run. Now, what does a September run mean if you don't have success in the postseason? It's a good question, and I think everybody's got a different answer for that. For me, they were a postseason team, and that means something that matters. It doesn't mean I'm happy with the finish. It doesn't mean I'm content. It doesn't mean I'm saying, oh, look at the, what they did. That was awesome. They, they, they accomplished everything that they wanted to accomplish. But I think any, any team, any organization, any group can you know, have that, that list of goals. You always see, especially it seems like this is kind of a football thing, sometimes basketball as well, where you have that list of goals of things that you want to accomplish win X number of games, win the conference, win the division, win, you know, whatever, like all these different escalating goals. And you you hit any of those goals and there's some level of success that went along with it and just 
poo-pooing a season where you accomplish any of those goals, I don't think is the right thing to do. So I, I will I will applaud this team for going on that September run and making it in the postseason and being a postseason qualifier for just uh, two years in a row for just the second time in the history of the organization and for the first time in the uh, National League portion of the history of the organization. Making the playoffs matters. Now, there's going to be some people who hear me say that, and they're going to translate that into me saying, ah, they made the playoffs, so they accomplished everything that they needed to accomplish this year, and anything else is gravy. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I think you can appreciate a team that makes it into the postseason, but still kind of lament what could have been. And with this team this year, there is a lot of what could have been. Could have this team won the division? Absolutely, they could have won the division. If they would have been able to uh, put together, I think, a more consistent uh, offensive performance throughout the course of the year, maybe some different moves be made last year in the offseason, whether it was bringing back a Jordan Lyles, a Gio Gonzalez, a Wade Miley, any of those guys where young guys in the rotation early on in the season does not hurt you as much as it did, where you're all of a sudden kind of playing defense from an organizational standpoint and a transactional standpoint to get your roster to where you need it to be from a pitching standpoint. Uh, I don't know if the team ever made up for not having Corey Knable. In fact, actually I do. I do know if the team ever made up for not having Corey Knable. They didn't. That was a loss that they just, they never were able to overcome not having Corey Knable throughout the course of the season. I'll give them credit. The bullpen had a really good September, especially leading into the Cubs, or not the Cubs series, but the Rockies series. The, 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 the September run that the bullpen was on was pretty spectacular, but they, they never overcame that. And just from a standpoint of having another high-level, high-leverage guy in the bullpen to the role of Josh Hader, if Corey Knable is on this team, Josh Hader's usage looks different he was he was never going to be a conventional closer but he was closer to being a conventional closer this year because of the Knable injury and to me that's not the strength of Josh Hader the strength of Josh Hader is being able to pick and choose your spots with him sometimes it's gonna be the seventh inning sometimes it's gonna be the eighth inning sometimes they'll cover those final two innings uh, but get get multiple innings out of them and place him in the spot in the game where you really need those outs. And he wasn't a conventional closer, and that came up in the wild card loss when he pitched multiple innings, which I had no problem with, but a lot of people did have problems with. But he was just because there was no Corey Knable and because Jeremy Jeffress was not the same Jeremy Jeffress, Josh Hader was forced into this weird hybrid thing of what he's been previously and being more of that conventional closer. And he had a, let's not, Let's not mince words here. Josh Hader had a fantastic season. He had a great season. He gave up a few more home runs than he had given up in the past. But you go look at the overall numbers and the overall body of work, Josh Hader had a fantastic season. And if, if he has that exact same season next year, maybe with the exception of pitching in a wild card game and giving up the lead and having the season in. I get that he gave, had that run of giving up home runs and the losses and everything, but that happens. That's part of the, the life of a closer, of a pitcher, just the, the ebbs and flows and the roller coaster that is a 162-game season. 
Hader was great this year. And if he gives the same numbers again next year, I'm good with it. I hope to see the home run numbers drop a little bit. I hope that he can uh, throw the off-speed stuff, throw that slider with a little bit more accuracy where he can consistently have it in the strike zone. Uh, I hope that from a control standpoint, he gets a little bit better in that area. He's never going to be the super control pitcher. He's not going to be out there painting corners, but he can get into a, a basic region, and as long as he can do that, he can be uh, continue to be highly effective, and those are sort of things that can make him even better. But he had a, he had a great season. So a lot of good stuff to look back on. The the way the season ended, man, that's a gut punch. That is a gut punch, especially a team going 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. They clearly left some runners on or some runs on the table, and uh, that's the way things uh, that's the way things finish off. Uh, we are going to continue to do this podcast every week, so I, I don't want to dive too much into uh, the off season and what and what the team has to do moving forward. It's uh, that's at least a week. Uh, week too early, so we'll get into that. Don't worry, we'll be here every week. But this is kind of that that transitional week where we move from the season coming to an end to uh, to going into the off season. Of course, it, you can't help but watch the Dodgers National Series and just think what it would look like had the Brewers been in it. Let's. I mean, if we're being really honest about things, it was it would have been a challenge for the Brewers to beat the Dodgers. Dodgers were clearly the best team in the National League this year. That was going to be a big challenge for them to find a way to beat the Dodgers. But it'd be a lot more fun to be able to watch them try than to know how the season came to an end when they lost in that wildcard game. All right, as mentioned, Tim Muma from uh, Brew Crew Ball. He is our featured guest this week. We're going to unpack a lot of things with him, and uh, that interview starts pretty much right now. It's Brewers Extreme Podcast Powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Trains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile as it is time for our social media conversation. This week we bring in a, a contributor from uh, Brew Crew Ball, one of our uh, favorite folks to talk to. He is uh, Tim Muma. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma, which is M-U-M-A. Tim, it's always great to have you on the program. How are you? Uh, doing good. Appreciate it. Uh, always happy to talk to you, though. I wish I was actually at a playoff game as we uh, record this. It would have been game three, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it was a weird... So, and I don't say this at all to, like, discount the way fans are, because I know there's a lot of fans out there who watch or listen, experience, if you're a season seat holder, go to every home game. Like I realize there are fans that are just as, uh, from a time-wise, committed as I am, so I hope I don't make it sound like it's it makes more of an impact on me than other people out there. But like for me, from a professional level, it, it comp- it's, it's a lifestyle change. When the season comes to an end, all of a sudden my life is completely different, and it's kind of weird to deal with, especially through those uh, first couple weeks uh, after the season ends. Yeah, I can't imagine it from uh, your guys' point of view and anyone who's working with the team on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, uh, even as a fan, obviously I'm pretty invested, even more so than the average fan. But uh, as you said, it's just it's just over. You know, yeah. you're doing it for so long, day in, day out, and then it's, it's, it's gone. I mean, my wife, Joe, all those what are you going to do now? There's no brewing anymore. I'm like, well, I'm going to watch all the other playoff games, but uh, it is a little weird. You don't have that that daily routine of uh, getting ready to watch the game, analyze it, you know, just just enjoy it on a day to day basis. So I think that always makes it just a little more of a gut punch. 
Um, obviously, Tuesday's game in of itself was enough of that. But, um, yeah, it just thinks that now the, the winter is looming. Let's start with this. There are two schools of thought on the um, getting into the wild card game and then losing that game. There's some people who say you weren't even in the playoffs. It's a, if you get into the wild card game and you lose, it's like you're not even in the postseason. There's others who say, "Hey, you're a postseason qualifier, first or first time uh, in the National League history of the organization, just the second time overall that the team has been in uh, the postseason in back-to-back years." Where do you stand on that whole? What did they actually accomplish this year? Question. I think for sure it is the playoffs. It's the postseason because the way I look at it is, they're only. A handful of teams are going to make the postseason and actually have the opportunity to advance all the way to the World Series. And if you're in that game, you have that opportunity, 50-50 chance in theory to win that game, and then you know you're sort of in the the full bracket, if you will. Um, but it should it certainly should look be looked at as accomplishments. Um, you know, there are tons of teams, lots of fan bases that they would die to just get that one game opportunity. And you know, for those who might say it's, it's not that way. Well, then tell me how you watched the game. Did you just watch it casually, not really care? Uh, were, you, were you like me and my family and friends, or, you know, we're on the edge of our seats, we're nervous, or we're you know, going through the highs and lows of the game? Because to me, if you don't see it as being a playoff game, then, then whatever. Then don't pay attention or don't get into it. But um, considering how long the season is and how much it takes every year to try to get to that position, how rare it has been for Brewers fans to be able to enjoy it, uh, and obviously just the run that they went on to get to that point, it's 100% in postseason. Can you be disappointed that, that that's all you got? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, you, you want to at least get to that, that part where you're playing in a series and you can kind of see over at least a little bit longer period of time what you can do against the top team. But, um, you know, it's, it's the way the format is right now, and I think it's great because it does favor winning the division, which should be first and foremost. And, um, hey, it gives you a shot. In that one game, crazy things can happen, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Uh, you see, you know, starters coming in relief. You see lots of changes uh, throughout the game that you wouldn't see necessarily in the regular season unless you're the Brewers and you do it every year in, in September, too. Um, so I don't think it's something you put a banner up for um, when they got the wild card back in 08. It made a little more sense because it was just the one wild card and you're in a series right away. Um, but I, I think you still you still take it in as far as made it to the postseason, back-to-back years, um, and, and just appreciate what that team is able to do and, and enjoy the ride, win or lose. Uh, you know, they, they took us on a great ride throughout the course of the year. The one thing that has been kind of sticking with me is you play 162 games, you accomplish a postseason berth, and it's over in one game. It's it, it's it, it's very odd to have such a long season and then a playoff appearance be determined by one game, but that's that's the nature of the beast. I agree. You know, there's people out the, the people out there who want to see it expanded beyond a single wild card game are people who have an affection towards the team that loses. Basically, if you're just an average fan mm-hmm. out there, you love the wild card game. If you don't have a rooting interest in it because oh, it's that one sure. game playing, if you have some sort of rooting interest, obviously you'd like it to be a series. But it is this very weird feeling that you do all that work for 162 games. You go out, you make trade, you do all these things over five months, 162 games, and then in one game it can all be over. Yeah, 100. percent There is a there is an almost absurdity to it. Uh, maybe that's a little too strong of a word. But when it comes down to the end, okay, let's say you get to game five of the NLDS. So it was five extra games, and it still comes down to that one game. Let's say you get to the game seven of the NLCS like they did last year. So at some point, you're always going to get to, whether it's that one last game or you need to fight off 
one last game. I don't think anybody wants to go back to the old days where you had an American League champion, a National League champion, and they played in the World Series. Um, you know, there's something special about the playoffs and the feel of it. And yeah, when it comes to baseball, it's supposed to be over the long period, the larger sample sizes, and, and you have some weird things happen. But I think a lot of times, you know, you break it down. Let's say a team had a five-game advantage over the course of, of the season. It's basically they had one more win every month than the team that they're facing. So it's not that big of a difference when you really kind of break it down, uh, you know, incrementally a little bit. So I get it. It seems to be that one and done when you play so many games, especially the way the Brewers had to fight just to get into it. But I, I think it's just the way – it's the nature of the game. It's the nature of fans. And I think overall it does benefit the sport. As you said, the casual fans – all of a sudden they're tuning in because there's more of a football mentality in the country in general, in Wisconsin, obviously the Packers. So they're going to sit down and, oh, this game means everything. They're hyped up for this one game. So the purists might not like it as much, and I consider myself in general a purist, but there's only so many things you can do to make it work, and people talk about trying to have it even a three-game series, but that uh, that doesn't really fit into the schedule because then you're talking about the other teams waiting, and, and now it's, it's three games that much better than one. I, you can go on and on with the argument. I, I think it's fine where it's at, unless you're going to expand to, say, 32 teams, and then you do four divisions of eight, and then you just have the division winners and a wild card, or two wild cards, and, and you go from there. That's, to me, that's the only solution you have if you're really going to move to something like that is putting even less playoff or fewer playoff teams in there. And I think the reason partly they did this is to make sure there are more teams involved, more fan bases involved. And I think it has drummed up a lot of excitement, despite some criticisms, which is also warranted. All right, so they go on the great September run. They get into the postseason. That followed, you know, f- the better part of four months of really inconsistent baseball. How do you judge the season? Because the, there was there was the first four months or the first five months and then the final month, and obviously them getting into the postseason was because of the September run, and you appreciate that and realize it was a big deal, but at the same time, I don't think you can just ignore – the the inconsistencies that happened pre-September? I certainly think that pre-September, it's fair to be disappointed from the standpoint of expectations that you had going in, in part because of what happened last year and uh, with some of the moves that they did make that I felt did improve the team. And then um, almost looking at it, you know, the, the pitching, you are a little uncertain what was going to happen because you're going to rely on some young guys. That was the idea. Uh, you had the injury of Knable in the bullpen. How is that all going to factor in? Uh, I think the most disappointing was actually the offense because it, it did seem so inconsistent. And after that first month, everybody knows how much of a struggle it was seemingly to ever get a hit with a runner in scoring position. So I think that adds to that feeling of disappointment and frustration. But then as you go along the season, you realize as a team, maybe they actually did exceed expectations because individually there were so many disappointments. Yeah. Travis Shaw. Jesus Aguilar, uh, again, Canable being out, Jeffress not being the same, the, the pitching. I mean, I was all in on Corbin Burns, and, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a one-year thing, it's a growth thing, he, he, he's got the stuff. He had so many of these instances of individual disappointments and not being able to rely on guys that you were able to last year that you kind of step back and look at it as a team, and I think people started to do this in September, especially then after Yelich goes down, just like, yeah, they should really not be in this position. I mean, look at I mean, Shasin, I didn't even mention him, how poor he was this year compared to last year, plus being injured. I mean, the list kind of went on and on. So to be able to fight and claw and keep yourself at least in, in shooting range, so to speak, for the division and for a wild card when you got to that point of expanded rosters, 
plus the shrewd moves of David Stearns that people a lot were, you know, they were kind of criticizing with Pomeranz and Lyle specifically. And, and they did make a run. They did make that push. So, you know, again, people might look at the long haul and say overall it's a disappointing season, but you can't take away September and you can't take away the fact that they had so many individual issues that somehow, some way they, they stayed relevant. And in the end, were able to get to a point where, Hey, you win that one game on Tuesday, you face a Dodger team in a short series that you played last year. You never know what's going to happen. So, I'd still put it as a, a obviously a, a positive and uh, exciting season, but to your point, it's a, it depends on what perspective you're going to look at and, and how you want to view the grand scheme of things or the sum of the parts versus the team itself. As David Stearns goes about his off season, would you prefer him to approach the off season based off the way the team played in September or based off the way the team played pre-September? I think you have to look overall pre-September yeah. because that is, uh, you know, again, as we talked about even with the wins and losses, that's how baseball is viewed. That's how baseball is evaluated on, on the grand scale. Um, you know, yes, Monty Grandal is a great example to me because so many fans when the Brewers signed him were like, are you kidding? Because they saw this guy struggle so much in a seven-game series. But over the, you know, for those who really followed the game and, and understood what he brought for a whole season, that's why we were excited. And I say we because I'm not Sure, you were, I was, and I know a lot of people that in my circles, the same thing. Um, so that's how you have to look at that big picture. So I do think that's the scope to look at it from um, because you, you can't guarantee no matter how good council is in September, and obviously the rules are going to be changing a bit as well, you can't hang your hat on, oh, we're going to go 20-7 and seven in September every year or whatever. So you got to look at it from consistency and uh, who these players are over the long haul because everybody goes through slumps um, and everybody goes through hot stretches no matter who you are. So I think that's that's the way they're going to break it down. I think this group um, from Stearns on down, I think they've always looked at it that way and tried to have that larger view. Um, as a fan, you know, we kind of look at it maybe in short windows. Even for myself, it kind of looks like, hey, there's this two, three years that you have Christian Yelich. Do you, you push a little bit? Do you try to get Mark Atanasio to open up the checkbook just a little bit more the next couple of years? Um, but I think when, when Stearns and company look at it, it's going to be, okay, what, what went right, what went wrong, and how can we make sure that from the end of March through hopefully the end of October that we have the best roster available? I don't want to spend too much time on the wild card game for, because it's not a fun game to talk about, but I'll be, <laughs> the, the, the reaction I got after that game surprised me a little bit. I don't get surprised by reaction very often, but there was especially a lot of people who were unhappy with the way pitching were you was used. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. wanted to see Drew Pomerantz go another inning, which I thought was odd because Pomerantz had never been asked to go more than two innings in a relief appearance with the Brewers. Uh, people were unhappy about Josh Hader pitching two innings, which I thought was odd because Josh Hader pitches two innings a lot for the Brewers. And I couldn't tell if this was people who just saw the loss and were finding reasons to be upset or if it was people who hadn't really been paying attention all year long and are saying, hey, the conventional closer goes one inning, so why is this closer going two innings not knowing Josh Hader? So so I say all that to ask you this. Was there anything that went down in that wild card game that maybe you disagreed with? Not really, truthfully. I did have friends texting and tweeting and all that during the game and because um, everyone knew you could see, obviously, Hader was warming up, and he was, he was really pushing. He wasn't just lightly throwing. So you knew he was coming in for that eighth inning um, and hopefully to pitch those, those last two innings. 
And I've asked some people, like, oh, you know, what do you think? Should you stick with Pomeranz? He's throwing well. Um, you know, kind of the same arguments. And I think it's fair to ask that. I think it's fair to question that. And for those people who said they should have done that, we'll never know if you were right. But, you know, obviously the, the result with Hayter wasn't a positive one. But I say kind of the same thing. He hasn't done that really. Yes, he's been a starter in the past, but this is a whole new ball game. Um, from the flip side of it, anytime you open the bullpen door, you don't know if a guy's going to have it. And yeah. you didn't know that Hayter was going to just not have it, whether it was he was too amped up, he just couldn't get a feel of the ball, or he was just off. You know, pitchers slump as much as hitters do. So I don't think anything within the game, truthfully, what Council did, I, I wouldn't have disagreed with. And I'm. I'm definitely not one to just always agree with whatever he does because, I mean, he's a great manager, but I, I like to nitpick. I like to think I, I know what I'm doing when I'm watching the game or what I would do in that situation. But I thought he, he handled everything well as far as when he made his, his changes, when he chose to go to a pinch hitter, um, even letting Pomerantz hit in, the, in the, the spot that he did because he wanted to make sure he got that second inning. Um, so, obviously, the end result stunk. There's a little bit of bad luck with the the hit by pitch slash foul ball, however you want to look at that one, and then the can't even call it a broken bat single by Zimmerman. I mean, Hater destroyed his bat, and it just found the one spot Kane couldn't cover. You know, so um, I think people who follow baseball really closely and and follow the team, I think they understood. And there's probably still frustration, um, but sometimes it's the right decision and a bad result. Right? Yeah, sometimes it's a bad decision and and the good result. Um, so that's why, again, when you're looking at one game or one inning, uh, it's 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 hard to necessarily make a fair evaluation. And he didn't have it. I, he didn't definitely didn't have the command. It would have been nice to see Grandal honestly like set up with some low targets because everything Hader was missing was up and often his uh, his arm side as far as his pitches go. So it would have been nice to try to just change the target for Hader. I know we don't like the fastball down for Hader because he gives up home runs, but he was you know he was. Eight ten inches above the strike zone, um, so little things like that. But everything's happening so fast. You figure he's going to get the touch for it. You get a couple bad breaks, and all of a sudden, you know, you're down four to three. So, um, with your initial question being as far as the moves and stuff, I think I don't think there's anything I would have necessarily changed. Now, if you're in the dugout, you might get a feel for how Pomeranz is feeling, and he was throwing well. But talk to a lot of people, pitching coaches included. A pitcher is throwing great until all of a sudden he isn't. And usually what you want to do is get him out before he hits that spot. Yeah, and that's... The, the Brewers thought that was the time, and, and unfortunately uh, for Hader, it just, it just wasn't his night. That's kind of the same thing with Brent Suter, because a lot of people wondered why Suter didn't come out yeah. for a second inning, and Craig Council, who probably knows Brent Suter better than anybody out there, felt like when he watched that inning and watched him kind of struggle through an inning, even though he put up a zero, thought that, okay... This maybe this isn't his night. I'll get out. I, we got the zero. I'll, I'll get him out of there now. And there's people who get upset about that. But I I choose to trust the guy who's been working with this. You know when when you're always going to Suter and you're generally always going multiple innings. If he doesn't use him for multiple innings one time and it was an inning where it wasn't great, even though runs didn't scored, there's probably some reasoning behind it. Yeah, and that, again, that's a great point. If you look at the difference between Suter and Hader. Suter didn't necessarily pitch well, but he escaped without giving up a run. So it, it seems or it feels to many people like he's pitching well, keep him in there. And then to your point, that's not necessarily the case. And I think, I know from my standpoint watching him, I was like, oh man, this, this did not look like the same Suter you'd seen for the last, you know, 16 straight scoreless innings or every ad. Um, and then with Hader, 
it would have taken a ton of guts for counsel to make any kind of decision to yank him. Uh, you know, they got Lyles up at the end there, and Soto was probably going to behave his last batter one way or the other just because he was getting up with his pitch count. But, you know, to, to think, oh, I'm going to go out there and pull my ace reliever because he's a little bit wild, and, uh, you know, after three, four batters, that would have taken a lot of guts and, and a lot more second-guessing from people, I think. Um, you know, he rolled with this guy, and again, if Zimmerman's ball drops 20 feet more shallow, uh, you know, one of the infielders can catch it. So that's, as you talked about with the wild card game, that's the way it goes. It's one game, do or die. And sometimes you just don't get the break. And a lot of times this is where you see in baseball, there's, there's luck involved over the course of 162. It seems to balance itself out supposedly, but in one game, you know, somebody's going to get a break that, uh, that they can take advantage of. And unfortunately the national got that break. This applies to the wild card game, but it also applies to the entire season. As someone who listens to feedback from fans on an everyday basis, there would be. Yeah. By the way, quick, quick, yes. can I quickly say kudos to you because I, I know there are fans that that whatever reason they're a little more irrational or they're more casual, so they don't get it. And I mean, I see, I see you, and I hear you, and you're very calm for the most part. But I appreciate the times you actually do kind of finally go off on somebody. And it's nothing rude, but I think you do it the right way. But I just give you lots of props for handling lots of those callers and texters and everything else that you get. I'll tell you, I I made a very uh, concerted effort after the wild card game that I was not going to um, I was not going to get emotional. I was not going <laughs> I was going to be calm and I stay and it was tough at times based off what people were saying. Uh, but I, right. it was it was a very concerted effort by me on the night after the wild card game to have a very calm show, and I think I did that, which is easier said than done. <laughs> I can I can only imagine. Uh, but to that point, so it, w- it would be a very common thing for there to be like a 3-2 game or a 2-1 game where maybe a, a bullpen pitcher gives up that go-ahead run in the 7th or the 8th or the, or the ninth inning, and I would be taking phone calls about the mm. pitcher, whereas a staff pitching gave up three runs or pitching gave up two runs. So that means they had a heck of a night, and all at the same time, maybe the maybe as a team offensively, the team went one for 12 with running runners in scoring position and it left 13 runners on base, and people would be mm-hmm. blaming the pitching, not the hitting. And we saw that when the team went 0 for 6 in the wild card game with runners in scoring position. Everybody wanted to talk about Josh Hader. Nobody wanted to talk about the bats. Where you know Washington went 1 for 2 with runners in scoring position. They had four less at bats than the Brewers did. They just happened to get that one big hit in the ninth inning. If the Brewers could have gotten just one hit with runners in scoring position, that's probably a different game, and we're probably having a different conversation right now because baseball is still being played. But it amazes me how many people want to put down the pitching when, to me, clearly, if there was a single issue, and you've already hit on this, Tim, if there's a single issue this year, it's the hitting with runners in scoring position. Yeah, 100% agree, and not that I'm special anyway with this, but I do think just having coached a lot and played a lot, I think I have generally a good, broad perspective of what happens in a game and and that uh, it's never one player, it's never one play. It really isn't, and it might sound cliche, it might sound like a cop-out, but I do think for a lot of people, especially if they're more of a casual fan, there's a couple things that come into play with that. One, when you have a lead and you lose it, I think there's just something more visceral and frustrating about that. Uh, because I, I even said to some friends, this felt more like a gut punch than Game 7 of the NLCS last year because 
you know, they fell behind with a couple innings to go, and you just got the sense it was coming. Whereas, obviously, on Tuesday night, you got the sense, like, bad was coming, but they're in the lead, and then, boom, it's gone. So I think that's part of it. So immediately, like, oh, we had the lead, and you blew it. I think that's part of it. The other part is just when it happens in the game. Um, you know, the 0 for 6 is spread out over the course of, of the contest. Um, it's not like it was bases loaded, nobody out in the eighth inning, and they failed to score. Uh, you know, that's where it's like the big, it feels like a big moment. Um, but I 100% agree because I pointed out the same thing to you know, a bunch of people I would talk with and message with that 0 for 6, like you get one hit in one of those spots, and that eighth inning might go completely different. They might have a six-run lead. Uh, you just don't know how it goes. And that's why it, it truly is a team sport. It's easy to pick out a pitcher, too, because he's standing there on his own on the mound. And if a guy hits the ball over the fence or a guy hits the ball in the gap, you know, you can't blame the defense. Um, so I, I think there's just something to that of, of the, the instinctual reaction to what happens late in the game, and especially when you have the lead and, and, and blow it, for lack of a better term. Um, but the offense definitely should take as much of the blame because – I mean, three runs to try to win a game, that's not always going to work, and especially in this environment where guys are hitting home runs. And I know the Nationals didn't even hit one, which seems odd that they won that game without a home run. Yeah. Um, but I know a few people on Twitter had said, I don't know if three runs is going to win this. I don't know if three runs is going to win this. And they were saying that from like the third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning. And I was hoping with all I could that it would be enough. And But unfortunately, when you have that small margin of error, again, that's where um, you can blame the pitching to your point, but the hitters, they came up short as well after those first couple innings. I don't want to spend too much time on the off season quite yet because we've got a lot of podcasts to do uh, between now and uh, you know, pitchers and catchers reporting. But I think, to me, one of the more interesting things is going to see after this past year where they went young in the rotation and with the th- mm-hmm. of the three guys they went young with, with Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff, only one of them worked out, and they really didn't have a plan B in there, uh, so much so that if they had to go get a Gio Gonzalez, eventually reacquire Jordan Lyles uh, later in the season. Would your expectation be that they handle things a little bit differently this offseason in terms of having kind of a veteran backup plan? It's obviously really tough to have an assessment on it. Um, obviously, I would love to be a fly on the wall and – and hear all those conversations and, and even what went what went through their minds last year of, of taking that leap. And, again, I don't fault them at all. Uh, and and I'm open to criticizing people and, and Brewers' decisions and all that. But I was all in, like I said, on, on Woodruff and Burns. Especially. I did think Peralta probably needed some more seasoning. But, hey, you know, he, he looked good in spring and they went with it. I do think they have to look to have more of a, if you want to call it a backup plan or just, creating some veteran, quote-unquote, proven depth. And I say, quote-unquote, proven because we're not talking top-of-the-line pitchers. They're not going to, as much as it would be amazing, they're not going to go out and get Gary Cole. It's not going to happen. But there's going to be enough guys where I think, again, Stearns and Council, and they're all going to sit down, they're going to look, okay, what about this guy's repertoire works with what we do? What little tweaks can we make to improve you know, on his strikeout percentage or lowering his walk percentage or giving up fewer home runs. I think they're really going to dive deep into that to make sure they have depth going into spring, throughout spring, and then making those decisions. Or if the guys struggle at the beginning of the year again, okay, we're not stuck in a spot where we're, we're throwing guys in there who aren't ready, and then we have to – I mean, they're fortunate that Geo became 
available because the Yankees didn't bring him up to the major league team. They were able to make the choice of Lyles because the Pirates kind of fell flat. So they kind of got fortunate in those ways. So I definitely think they're going to have more of a plan to have some some more veteran presence, if you will, at least to give themselves a, a little bit of cushion if, if something goes wrong. Because, I mean, Woodruff seems solidified now. I think you're fine there. Burns, as I said, has amazing stuff, but we have no idea how he's going to bounce back, what's going to happen. Peralta's inconsistent. I mean, he could be a beast out of the bullpen if that's how they want to view him going forward, uh, whether or not he can be a long-term starter. Again, who knows? Um, so I would fully uh, believe that they're going to look to pick off the fringes of some of those veteran pitchers and and um, and maybe even make one bigger splash, um, so to speak, to make sure that they're solidified and at least have depth. And they're going to have to have conversations with these pitchers and the pitchers already in their, in their system to say, look, we are looking at this as a full staff. We're not necessarily saying these five are starters and these guys are relievers. We want to use guys as much as we can in the positions to help our team succeed. And it seems like Council and the organization have done a good job finding guys that, that seem to fall in line with that and, and appreciate and understand what they're trying to do. And I think it's going to be extremely important going forward because the more veteran guys you bring in, then you got to play with roster crunch numbers and you got to worry about options and, and who's getting enough innings. Um, so I, I, they have a lot of decisions to make in this offseason with arbitration and trade possibilities and just flat out letting guys go. Um, that will be interesting to see how much they try to stack more mid-level guys and make sure that they are covered in case catastrophe kind of hits again. Are you concerned that September rules going forward are not going to benefit the Brewers the way they have the last two years? I'm sure it's going to hurt a little bit. Uh, I guess I kind of asked on on Twitter, just asking the the baseball Twitterverse out there, um, if they had solidified the rules at that yet as far as you know, how often can you move a guy off the 28, because uh, they're doing right, 28-man roster, um, active roster during September instead of having the full 40 if you want. Um, so it's going to depend on what exactly those rules are and how often you can move a guy. You know, is it going to be like the injury list or uh, sending a guy down where they have to be down for 10 days? So if you take a guy off, does he have to be off for 10 days? I think it's going to depend on really those minute details of, of what they are uh, enforcing when it comes to September. I think uh, for the Brewers, it'll... I know they're going to limit the number of pitchers that teams can have called up at that time, too. I think, if anything, it'll hurt the Brewers more in council being aggressive with pinch hitting and switching guys up um, defensively because I think they're going to keep the maximum amount of pitchers they can. They're going to utilize as many fresh arms as they can. Uh, but it does seem like it's something that's going to be a negative impact on the Brewers more than maybe just about any team, although I think the Dodgers um, also are really good at, at utilizing their full roster. So it'll... it'll It'll be interesting to see that. And, again, that's when you ask the question about how do you evaluate the team going forward. So you got to look at the, you know, the first five, six months versus September because you're playing by those rules most of the year, and then it's really just a bonus to be able to add those guys in September. So, you know, it remains to be seen. I think it'll impact them negatively a little bit, but hopefully there's enough leeway in those rules that uh, council and, and the whole group can figure out again, what's going to be best for them to utilize every single player possible. Yeah, you know, you make a good point, and it's something that not very many people are talking about it, so kudos to you for bringing it up because my idea has always been, okay, why don't you allow the 40-man roster but force a team to put together like a game day roster where these are the guys Mm -hmm. that are available for that day's game, and there's never been any official confirmation that – 
the transactional rules will stay the same with the 28-man roster, where if you send somebody down, they have to stay down 10 days. You could almost make a 28-man roster like a game day roster, and if you did that, the impact to the Brewers would be limited. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I was asking anybody had an answer for. And I know some people said, well, why would they do that, make it like an active game day roster, kind of like football does? If they did that, then, yeah, you just deactivate yesterday's starter and tomorrow's starter and then, you know, maybe even one other starter. So that's three spots you open up for a couple of bullpen arms and a, and a, you know, a backup outfield or something. So whether or not that bothers them, I don't know. Again, I'm pretty sure they're putting a cap on the number of pitchers. So because I really think that's their biggest concern is more the pitching changes and how many pitchers are throwing because that's what slows the game down. And even for myself, I mean, I don't care. I'll sit and watch a four, four-and-a-half-hour baseball game. If it's a good game, it's a good game. Um, but I think that's really where the concern is. It doesn't take long to have a guy pinch hit. It doesn't take long to put a guy in defensively. It's it's the constant, you know, uh, rotating door of, of the bullpen. So, yeah, I, again, if, I agree with you. If it's a game day activation type thing, I think council and the Brewers are going to be all over that, and they will still be able to utilize every ounce of talent that they have on their roster. If it's more a thing where, hey, you have to pick your 28 guys. And, again, I'm just throwing stuff out because I've seen nothing. You have to pick your guys Monday to Sunday. So it's a weekly thing, and these are your 28. You know, then that changes things. Then you got to plan out that week, and if you have an off day, if you don't. Well, I think it'll be interesting. It might be kind of fun in some ways to, to think about what they're going to do with that. Um, but I think until we see all the details on it, it's really hard to judge how much of an impact it will have, if any. Yeah, David Stearns had his end-of-season press conference just a few days ago, and he made reference to the fact that they're still waiting on hearing the exact rules, that they have not been given any hard and fast information on what the rule changes will be. So that means nothing. I mean, maybe stuff is decided, but they don't know what the rule changes are at this point. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. I mean, I understand you have a whole off-season, and, and teams aren't going to make their decisions on acquisitions because of that. You're going to build the best 40 man you can and, and fill in your farm system. Uh, but it, it's, it is shocking to me that you're going to go through what is a major change in something that, you know, it's been in place for as long as I know, uh, as far as having that 40 man roster available. So it's a little interesting to me. They haven't figured it out yet. And they're going to be talking with more teams and figuring out what's going to be the best for, for the, uh, you know, the whole of major league baseball. I'm not a big Rob Manford fan, uh, and I remember last year, there's the rule that we assume is going to come into existence that uh, a relief pitcher who comes in has to face at least three batters or finish the inning, one of those two things. And if you remember, last year they tried to push that rule through for it to be in effect this year, and thankfully it mm-hmm. wasn't. But I had a big problem with that because they were talking about that like two, three weeks before spring training started, and I thought... <laughs> You're changing the rules. Teams went through their entire offseason. They built teams. Maybe they've got one of those lefty one-out guys that all of a sudden is not as important to a roster if you have this rule in place. You're going to sit here at the end of the offseason after teams have made all their free agent decisions and now make a rule change? I had a problem with that. So applying that standard to what's going on now, I'm hopeful that Rob Manfred and whoever else has a final decision on the rules for the upcoming season very, very soon because it's not fair to teams to go into the offseason where they start making roster decisions based off one set of rules where you might have another set of rules come in. I'm with you, and I, you know, especially with what seems to be 
potential of some turmoil and, you know, hopefully not any kind of work stoppage, but there's always talk of that, especially when you look at the free agency stuff and, and the salaries and everything going on there. Um, yeah, if I'm Rob Manfred, I don't want any little things to, to anger the players union or the players or even owners. Um, you know, I want everyone as much as I can to be uh, cohesive and on my side, so to speak, speaking as Rob Manfred and, um, I'm with you that this is not the way to do it, to, to hold things off, uh, you know, definitely not till spring training or to the start of the season. And even though I don't think this has a big, as big an impact as, to your point, changing the rule on a, how many batters you throw to, because, yeah, you have a guy like Alex Claudio, you're probably going to throw to just lefties as much as you can, that, well, then maybe they wouldn't have signed him or traded for him, or maybe they would have gone with somebody else. Um, so I, I think if you're Hanford, yeah, you got to get your stuff together, make a decision, or at least set a deadline so teams know, okay, we're going to know at this point, here are the rules for 2020. I mean, it's a, it is a little insane to think that they have the whole schedule mapped out for next year, but we don't quite know what all the rules are going to be and all the details. So, you know, maybe, they, maybe they're really close and they're just fine-tuning some things and, and crossing the T's and dotting their lowercase J's. Uh, that's a little <laughs> inside Wayne's World 2 joke. Um and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully they, they do figure it out sooner than later because I, I do think teams are going to start getting really antsy, um, especially teams like the Brewers that, that like to focus on this large-scale um, you know, team philosophy versus just getting our best 25 and we'll go from there. Yep, absolutely. All right, great stuff, Tim. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, of course, people can uh, read you and on occasion at uh, Brew Crew Ball as one of the uh, contributors to uh, what they do out there, and uh, we will certainly uh, get you on a time or two over the course of uh, the off season. Hopefully there's lots and lots to talk about. Awesome. I uh, appreciate it every time coming on, and uh, yeah, it should be an interesting off season. We'll have plenty to write about at Brew Crew Ball, so looking forward to it. Tim Miuma joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that is just about going to do it for the program. Just a couple notes for you. Uh, first off, the Brewers Weekly Show that we run on Thursday nights on WTMJ Radio. It is going to continue through the off season as it always does, but that's another hour or so of Brewers talk each week that you're able to uh, take in. So that goes from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on Thursday nights on WTMJ with the exception of nights where the Bucks play on a Thursday and if the uh, if the Packers have a Thursday night game. Do they, I don't even think they have any more Thursday night games. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, but either way, if, if, if either of those things are going on, no Brewers Weekly. But generally we will have it on Thursday nights from 8 o'clock to uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, next off, I know uh, I, I see it each year. I can go back and kind of look at the numbers on this podcast and the people that uh, listen, and I see that it peaks around at this time and then during the off season, uh, not quite as many people listen to it. So if you are in that kind of category of people that uh, lose interest a bit in the Brewers in the off season, and you'll catch back up uh, at the uh, beginning of the season next year, or spring training, whatever it might be. Just want to thank you for being uh, all tuned in to this podcast. Would love for you to listen to the off season uh, episodes, but even if you don't, uh, really appreciate you being uh, tuned in uh, to this, to what we do uh, on WTMJ. Everything. I uh, just uh, continue to be blessed in what I get to do for a living when it comes to uh, the Brewers and I'm I'm bummed that the season has come to an end because I enjoy hosting post game shows and now I'm done hosting post game shows until the start of the season next year uh, as always get at me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air and we'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings the podcast 
Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to A Home with the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.